But in Mark chapter 9, where we're going to take a look, we're going to be talking about belief, believing. You know, in a, in a song like Don't Stop Believing, it kind of leaves the Bible wide open for passages you could preach from. Because the Bible is all about belief. I mean, the church is called believers because of what we believe, not believers. That's different. It's a different song. But believers because of what we believe. We believe that God sent his son Jesus, that he was God wrapped in human flesh, born of a virgin, lived a perfectly sinless life that through his sacrifice on the cross, we receive forgiveness for our sins. And by faith in him, we are made right with God. We, we believe that the Bible is God's word, that it speaks to us, that when we open it up, every time we open up with a heart to receive, there is power to change our life, that the Bible is God's word, that his promises are true, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to empower us, that the church is God's plan A for the world, that there is no plan B. That's what it means to be a believer. And there might be some of you here, maybe you're new to faith, and maybe you don't really even have all this figured out yet. That's okay. If this song tells us anything, it's that faith is a journey. It's a dad joke. But... Uh, but it is a journey. And I, I want to talk about belief and faith because I meet a lot of people that they've got faith in faith. You know, like sometimes I'll meet people and they're, they're kind of new. It's like, man, I love this church and just love the vibes, man. This church has got great vibes and I'm all about that. And, but faith is not about just good vibes. Faith is not just belief for the sake of belief. Your faith has to be anchored to something. Has to be anchored to the rock. Right? It doesn't matter how big your faith is or how beautiful your faith is. If it's not anchored to something, if it's not anchored to the rock of ages, it's not going to do you any good. So that's what we're looking at today in Mark chapter 9. Did I give you enough time to get there yet? Mark 9, going to build some faith in you, help you overcome those things that stop us from believing. Verse 14 says this, Then Jesus, Peter, James and John went to the other followers, the other disciples. They saw many around them. The teachers of the law were arguing with the followers, the disciples. And when the people saw Jesus, they were very surprised and ran to welcome him. Jesus asked, what are you arguing about with the teachers of the law? A man answered, teacher, I brought my son to you. He's controlled by an evil spirit that keeps him from talking. The spirit attacks him and throws him on the ground. He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, becomes very stiff. I asked your followers to force the evil spirit out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, you people today don't believe. How long must I stay with you? How long must I be patient with you? Bring the boy to me. So the followers brought the boy to Jesus, and when the evil spirit saw Jesus that attacked the boy, the boy fell down, rolled on the ground. He was foaming at the mouth, and Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? The father answered, since he was very young, the spirit often throws him into a fire or into the water to kill him. If you can do anything, please have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to the father, why did you say, if you can? All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father shouted, I do believe, help me to believe more. I'm gonna stop there. The passage goes on a little further, but in the story, Jesus rebukes this 
demon, this devil spirit, cast, cast it out. The boy falls on the ground. He helps him up. He's healed. It's this awesome miracle. And um, I know it seems a little strange to be reading a passage about an exorcism to talk about don't stop believing, but I just figured if we're going to play the devil's music in church, I might as well talk about a demon. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm not trying to say that all your problems are because of demons today, but I do believe I was encouraged by some things when I read this passage. God used it to encourage me in my faith, and I want to share those things with you. And I believe it's going to help you overcome those things that try to stop your belief. So it's typically my custom to pray before I get into the preaching of God's word. So I would just ask that you would bow your head with me and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for his help this morning. And as we look to his word, I know he's going to speak exactly what you need. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Father, that you always speak to us. And so, Lord, we come to you with hearts to receive today. We lay down our agendas, our opinions, and we come ready to receive whatever you have for us, God. I know that I need help, and I believe that there's people here who need your help, God, to speak to their situation, to speak to what they're facing, people who've been overcome with doubt and difficulty and despair. So God, speak now in this moment. We know you will. We need you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody who agrees with that can say amen. Uh, I've got a question for you. How many of you would be honest with me in church and just say, you're, you're a person who's easily distracted? Can I just see your hands? Just be honest for a moment. Can I just keep your hands up? Uh, if you're sitting next to somebody who has their hand raised, you have my permission to punch them if they fall asleep or if they stop paying attention while I'm preaching. Um, no, it's easy, it's easy to get distracted, isn't it? I mean, all of us at some point can become distracted. My kids are easily distracted. Sometimes I will ask them, not so much ask them, I will tell them to go clean their room. And 20 minutes later, I will go check on them to see how it's going, thinking that I've been father of the year because it's silent. You know, I'm not, no complaining. It seems to be going on. And they are playing with the toys that they're supposed to be putting away. Uh, I can get distracted. Sometimes I get distracted when I'm preaching. I start looking at you, and some of you guys, you look at me so hateful. You <laughs> You look at, look at me with like this evil look of disgust on your face. And I'm like, what did I do? Did I, you know, was I, did I like change lanes and not signal on the way to church in front of you or something? I'm not sure what happened, but uh, it's easy to get distracted. And uh, whether you're talking about preaching, whether you're talking about driving, whether you are talking about something, <laughs> telling my kids to clean their room, one thing that's true that it's, it's typically helpful to pay attention and in the same way that it's helpful to pay attention with those things, it's always helpful when you study Scripture to pay close attention to what's happening in the text. Because lots of times, Scripture creates its own tension just by the way it tells you what's happening. Understand, the Bible is alive and active. It's the living Word of God. So what it says is just as important as how it says it. And in other words, the, the principles are important, but so is the presentation, the, the way that it says something. And that's worth pointing out because in this passage, it's really interesting to know what's going on in the context. You see this, this miracle that we just read about where this boy is healed of this situation, healed of this demon that's been oppressing him for years that we discover. In this same moment, right before this happens, Jesus experiences maybe one of the greatest miracles, the greatest moments of his earthly ministry, his earthly life. 
Right before this happens in Mark chapter 9, Mark starts out recording something called the transfiguration. It's in other gospels. The transfiguration is this moment where Jesus is on the mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. He begins to become radiant with the glory of God. Moses and Elijah, representing the the law and the prophets, appear next to him. And when this happens, God speaks an audible voice from heaven. And he says, this is my son. I love him. Listen to him. It's this incredible moment. Some theologians call this the greatest miracle because it wasn't a miracle that Jesus performed. It was a miracle that happened to him. And so in this incredible moment where human nature meets God's presence and Jesus himself acting, on the, acting as the bridge, I bring that up because in a very real sense, it's what we all want. We want to experience God's presence. We want to change. We want to be changed. But I have to bring that up. That's why this passage is interesting to me because in the, a very similar way, to our own lives. When our life is on the mountaintop, when we're experiencing God's presence, when we're being changed, it is awesome. But when we get back into our life and all the things that we thought were gonna change don't change right away, we come back down from the mountain only to meet a mess. Well, if we end up comparing the chaos of the valley to our experience on the mountain, we can be tempted to think that what we experienced wasn't real. We can be tempted to think that maybe we should stop believing. But real faith isn't something that you just experience on a mountain. And it's not something that you just feel in a moment. No, real faith requires determination. If you want to write this down, another way to think about it is real belief demands that you don't stop. Real belief demands that you don't stop. And that's one thing I like about the dad in this story because the thing I see about this dad is there's lots of things that could have stopped him in coming to Jesus. There's lots of things that could have stopped him in his belief that his son could be better, that his son could be healed. And some of those same things, I think, are the same things that stop you and me. And whatever it is that we're going to God for and whatever it is that we're asking God to change in our life and whatever it is we're asking God to heal, whatever it is we're asking God to fix, whatever it is that we're asking God to come into and change, there's these same things that can stop our belief. And I want to point out the first one to you. The first one is the crowd. The crowd. It's interesting to me that before this man gets to Jesus, he first has to go through the crowd. Now, the crowd's not all bad. I want to make sure that's clear. The crowd has some good people in it. The, the crowd has some disciples of Jesus. The crowd has some people who are followers of Jesus. The, the crowd has some people in it that are probably this man's friends. The, the crowd might even have some of his family. The crowd probably has some people in it that this man respects, has got experts in the law. The crowd is not all bad. You know, sometimes like, pastors, we can always be concerned about drawing a crowd, but I've noticed that Jesus wasn't always a big fan of the crowd. The the, the crowd actually becomes a problem to what Jesus wants to do because at the very beginning of our passage, we discover that the crowd has a conflict. 
Look at it with me in verse 14. It says, then Jesus, Peter, and James, and John, they went to the other followers. They saw many people around them. What they saw was that the teachers of the law were arguing with the followers. And so in verse 16, Jesus asked, what are you arguing about with the teachers of the law? See, what I've learned about faith is that if you want to experience the cure, you can't get stuck in the crowd. Because the crowd... (laughs) They're well-meaning. They've got a lot of opinions. They've got a lot of arguments, but the arguments don't have answers. And a lot of people, they, they never get the answer because they want to hear all the arguments first. Well, I want to know what this person says. Well, I want to hear what they think. And we stay stuck in the crowd. We never move forward with what God has for us because we got to get all the details, we got to hear everybody's opinion. But if you will stay stuck in the crowd, you will never make it to Jesus. The crowd's divided. I asked if you were distracted earlier. You know, that's what divided means. It means to be pulled in different directions. It means your, your attention is pulled apart. Your attention is divided. You're distracted. Well-meaning people. Good-sounding arguments, but the arguments weren't bringing answers. The thing I noticed with the crowd is that we're talking about the things that can stop us from believing, but if you stay with the crowd, sometimes you never even start because we don't know exactly what they were arguing about. But we can infer from the Scripture that it probably had something to do with healing this man's son. We know that the disciples tried. They believed that they could. They weren't being very effective, And then you've got the experts there saying, why are you even trying? Why are you even going through this? It's useless. It's futile. Don't waste your time. Quit while you're ahead. Stop while you're still good. See, the crowd doesn't just make you stop believing. The crowd can sometimes keep you from even starting. So that's why I like the fact that when Jesus asked the question, what are you arguing about? This man doesn't wait for them to list all their contentions. He just gives the cause. He says, teacher, I came here with my son, and he's got a problem. I asked your disciples to do something about it, but they could not. They could not. And that's the second thing that stops us. Sometimes we can get through the crowd, but we quit in the could not. The could not. That's all the times where you tried to do something about your problem, but you failed. That's where you tried to get free from your addiction, but it didn't work. It's where you tried to put your heart back out there, but you ended up getting burned. You ended up getting broken in the process. That's where you tried to start that business, but instead of flourishing, you went broke. I wonder, is there anybody here who's quit in the could not. You made it past the crowd. You made it past the naysayers and everybody's opinion, but you tried and failed and it didn't work. You thought it would turn out differently. That's what this man says. He <laughs> says in verse 17, he says, teacher, I brought my son to you. I asked your followers to force the evil spirit out, but they could not. I gotta hold up just a minute here. Because I like this guy's tenacity. I like his persistence and his perseverance. But we got to 
unpack this just a little bit. He says, teacher, I brought my son to you. Hold up. No, you didn't. You brought your son to his disciples. Jesus was up on the mountain. Jesus just got here. And I wonder, is it possible that we think we've brought something to God, but we've really just brought it to church? I wonder if it's possible that sometimes, sometimes we think we've brought something to God. Sometimes we say we've prayed about it, but what we really did was worry about it, and then we called it prayer. Let, let me help you with this. You want to have real faith? Faith starts where excuses stop. I think sometimes the reason we're ready to stop believing is because when we say we prayed about something, we didn't really pray about it. What we did is we told 10 people about it. And because our 10 friends or all the people we asked and all the people we talked about it to, because they couldn't help us, we just assumed God couldn't help us either. I think sometimes the, the reason we're ready to stop believing is because we've made an excuse before we've even made an effort. You, you got to bring it to God. You can't bring your issue to religion. You can't bring your issue to the leading experts. You can't bring your issue to all your friends. You've got to bring it to Jesus. And until you've really brought it to Jesus, you haven't really stepped into faith. We know they hadn't brought him to Jesus yet because then Jesus says in verse 19, he says, bring the boy to me. You haven't brought him to me yet. Bring it to me. Bring him to me. So they brought him. And this is really interesting because... When they brought him on the surface, the situation goes from bad to worse. This doesn't make a lot of sense in our minds. Because in our minds, we always think that when we bring something to God, he's going to immediately make it better. I mean, especially in Mark. One of the things that's interesting about Mark's gospel is that Mark, over 40 times, more than any other gospel, used the word immediately. It's got this urgency to it. Mark is always talking about immediately this happened and immediately Jesus went there and immediately this person was healed. So we've got this impression that when we bring something to Jesus, immediately it's going to become better, but that doesn't happen. What we see is that he brings the boy to Jesus and the thing flares up. He brings the boy to Jesus and the problem gets worse. That's because sometimes for God to make things better in your life, he has to expose how bad those things really are. He has to expose how bad the situation really is. You can't just come to church one time and expect to get a quick fix. You, you can't just come to church one time and think that everything's going to change. It took you a long time to get into this mess. Sometimes it takes a while to get out of it. It's not the way Jesus works. It says, upon seeing Jesus, this issue flared up. Let me read it to you in verse 20. The followers brought the boy to Jesus when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it attacked the boy. The boy fell down, rolled on the ground, and he's foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? The father answered, since he was very young. The spirit often throws him into a fire or into water to kill him. If you can do anything, please have pity on us and help us. I thought this was interesting because when we started hearing about this boy, the only thing we really knew is that this evil spirit, this situation, was keeping him from speaking. Well, now we find out 
this has been going on for a while. Not only has it been going on for a while, it's not just him not being able to speak. This thing is trying to kill him. And this is where a lot of us stop believing. We might make it past the crowd. We might even have faith to push past the could not. But what stops us is the consistency. Let me explain what I mean. It's the fact that it's always been this way. It's the fact that as long as I can remember, I've had to deal with this situation. And when I came to you for help, I thought it was going to get better, but it doesn't seem like anything changed. And if anything has happened, it seems like it's gotten worse. We've lived with our issues for so long that we've stopped believing that we could really be a different person. That we could really get our issues under control. That we could really respond to a difficult problem with faith. That we could really respond with patience. That we really didn't have to operate in fear. And as I read this story, there's, there's different people I relate to in the story. Because on one hand, I relate to the disciples. Because the disciples are frustrated because they're trying to help this boy. And it doesn't seem like they're getting very far. And they're frustrated. And I can relate to the dad because he's got enough faith to push past the the crowd and to push past the could not and to still go to Jesus. But he's exasperated because it doesn't seem like things are changing. And it's been this way for a long time. But you know who I realized I needed to identify with? It's the boy. The boy. Uh, we got to get past the, the point of exorcism here because this isn't a passage This isn't just the passage about a demon. As much as it is a passage about Jesus' authority over anything that is tormenting you and controlling your life. Whatever it is that is tormenting you, whatever it is that is controlling you, whatever it is that is troubling you, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a fear, whether it's a circumstance, whether it's a family issue, whether it's a health situation, Jesus has authority over the thing that's troubling you. Let me just say that again so you can hear it. Jesus has authority over the thing that's troubling you. And what's interesting is that this conversation, really maybe the most interesting part to me, is in verse 22 where the Father says, if you can do anything, Please have pity on us. Help us. If you can do anything. Because I think that's where most of us live. If you can do something. The consistency of our problem has stopped us from believing that we could be completely free. Like, I got to believe this is not the first time he's tried to help his son. He's probably gone to a lot of different places. Maybe this is his last-ditch effort with Jesus. He keeps pushing through, but it's almost like he's given up on the fact that his son could be completely healed. Like, okay, yeah, I didn't want to tell you the whole situation, but now that you see it, first I was just going to ask, could you do something about his speech? But now that you see what's really going on in my life, like, could you just calm him down a little bit? 
could you just numb the pain? Could you just stop this now? Like, I'm not even asking for healing. Could you just stop this right now? Could you just give me a hit right now? Could you just give me a, a little break from the pain right now? I'm, I'm not trying to get free. I'm just trying to get some peace for a moment. I think that's how we approach God. If you could do anything, I'm not looking for you to solve it, Jesus. I'll just settle. I'll just settle for whatever you can give me. Anything would be better than this. Because it's been going on a long time. It's what happens to most of us. We learn to live with our issues. We learn to cope with our problems and cope with our crisis. But what Jesus has in mind is not anything but all things. If you could do anything, no. All things. Anything? No. All things are possible for the one who believes. The man said, I brought you my son, and you know, I was hoping that you could get him to speak. Jesus says, is, is that really the thing that you're asking for? Because all things are possible. I admire this man's faith because he kept pushing through the different roadblocks, different hurdles along the way. But at some point, there were some things that he had stopped believing. He believed God could do something, but he had stopped short of believing that God could do everything. He said, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately, the father shouted, I do believe. Help me to believe more. And it was upon that exclamation that the boy got healed. Here's what I want to tell you. Maybe there are some things where you've stopped. The good news is, even small faith can do big things. So I do believe. But God, help me. Help me to believe more. You know, sometimes the thing, the thing that you think you need is not the thing that you need most. Sometimes the thing that you're praying for God to fix is not the thing that he wants to change first. <laughs> he came looking for Jesus to heal his son, but Jesus said, hey, before I can heal this burden, I've got to help your belief. I've got to help your, your belief. I wonder if we're praying wrong sometimes. He says, God, heal my son. Nothing happened. He said, Jesus, help my belief. His son got healed. What I'm trying to say is sometimes the most spiritual prayer you can pray is help me. Because sometimes we're so focused and what we want God to do for us that we miss the very thing that God wants to do in us. And there's usually something beneath the surface. Jesus is really good at getting beneath the surface. He's really good at getting to the core of the issue. There's something deeper that Jesus wants to do in your life. We're so focused on what we want God to fix that we miss the fact he wants to change our heart.
So maybe you're praying, God, give me a better job. And God says, I can do that, and I will do that. But first, I want to teach you to trust me in the job that you have. I want to be faithful with what you've been given. Maybe praying, God, change my spouse, the situation. It's so annoying. It's so frustrating. God says, I want to help them. But I'm more concerned about changing you. Maybe saying, God, can you just take this thing away? Can you deal with this? Can, can you fix this? Fix this problem. God says, before I give you the thing that you want, will you trust me to give you the thing that you need? There's a few different ways to look at this passage. One, I want to encourage you that whatever it is that God has put on your heart that you've been trusting God for not to stop short to push past the barriers. 